You are listening to the first episode of Waves of Change. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Waves of Change Modern Perspectives in Asian American Psychology. This is brought to you by Diana Chu and Dr. Menkit Lee in San Francisco. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hey, Diana. Call me Lee. Call me Lee, please. So, so we're two Asian American therapists and psychologists、uh, going together and、um, want to. We, do something yes, we want to, to do stuff world, to this、right? world. And be more specific,、um, I want to talk a little bit about how we met and how this whole project came up.、Yes. Um, so, we、yes. met at the conference that happened.、Um, Oh, not too long ago, like a month ago, is the evolution of psychotherapy in LA.、Um, and there we noticed it. We noticed it. We noticed that a lot of the presenters are, they're, they're quite old. They're, they're very, very old. And not only that, Dr. Darwin c h i s u talked about how he, there is an extreme lack of、uh, people of color represented in the field of、um, psychology. Yeah. So, We're, we're sitting there.、Um, I just met Lee for like a day or two. And then I thought about that we, we need to do something. It could be blogging, or podcasting, or, or collaborating. So I thought it would be a good idea to sit down and, and do something together. And we came up with the idea of the podcast, a podcast which h a v e the goal of bringing change in psychology field and therapy field and talking about a little bit like race. Microaggressions, the current administration, how it's affecting me, how is it affecting us, how is it affecting our clients? What else are we going to talk about, Lee? Oh, yeah.、Um, we're going to talk about gender issues, dating, and whatnot.、Um, so, my, myself, I'm a clinical psychologist, and my research and my treatment focus a lot on dating、uh, for Asian American men,、um, acculturation, and whatnot. And What it really means to be an, a, a, an Asian person living in America trying to find a partner, what it asks like, yeah, and how does microaggression look like in a dating world? That's something I want, just like a topic of interest, my life work. And I feel like currently we do live in an environment that is very oppressed. And, that's some, and this is a place where I would like to have an opportunity, not just for myself, not just for Diana, but kind of have a, a small community where we can discuss these very relevant topics. Yes, you hit the point. We want a community. Yeah, because I think it's really important. The world is changing, you know, like technology, for example, is influencing like the psychology world in therapy and how we, we actually see each other. Also, at the same time, like affecting our social emotional skills, affecting kids' social emotional skills. There's so much. That we could talk about in this podcast. And、um, we're going to want like, all the audience、um, to actually join us and, and be a community with us. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, this is like that is, is a community. We want to hear from you.、Um, we want to hear about your thoughts.、Uh, we want to share with you our、uh, authentic feelings and thoughts regarding some of these very challenging experiences so that we can start, if not continue, a very important dialogue. That can help all of us move forward and navigate through harder times. Lee, you talked、yeah. about yourself. Let me talk a little bit about myself. Please. I'm born and raised in Hong Kong, so I'm not an American.
But uh, I live in San Francisco, and I'm a therapist in San Francisco. I'm a drama therapist specifically, so I use like theatrical techniques to do counseling、um, with like kids, adults,、uh, different realms of population. So I found it very interesting to be like in in some sense I, I have a different viewpoint in the in the population that I'm working with, but also understanding the American culture、uh, as a process of it. So I hope that. That this will be a good mix、um, that we could actually talk about all these intersections and interesting thoughts and ideas that come into my mind, and my challenges、uh, will come up as well. Yeah, that's that's very brilliant. And the term Asian American is so broad、yes. that it really does not give do justice to the difference of experiences that we have. And you mentioned you being born in. in I'm sorry, when did you immigrate here? I ask.、Uh, three years ago. Three years ago, yeah, and and that's compared to someone like myself, who I was born in、uh, Macau. I grew up in China, but I immigrated here, I believe, age nine, which is、wow. just just that fact make my experience vastly different than your experience. Though、yes. both of us are identified as Asian Americans, but there's so many differences and idiosyncrasies that you know are not play within that term, and that's something we can definitely explore as well. Yeah, and definitely our、uh, clients also have different experiences as well. Like,、oh, yeah. I can imagine yeah. like、uh, a very traditional、uh, Chinese family immigrating here from here from Taishan or or、uh, from、mm-hmm. different regions in China coming into America, and and what are the experiences like? So that's that's something to talk about too. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so we did talk about a little bit about our background and why are we doing this. But what is our goal, and what do we want to really change, Lee? So I want to answer that question. I would like to answer that question of a, of a really quick、uh, anecdote, my own personal anecdote, if you will. I took a year doing my internship in Hawaii. For those who don't know, Hawaii. Uh, it's very it's colonized very differently than mainland America, in the sense that Asian American, Chinese American, Japanese Americans, their experiences were the norm. So being Asian there was the cultural norm.、Mm. And when I went there, being treated as the norm, even though I studied you know cultural dynamics and、uh, psychology for many years, but going there and just really experience it, what it what it's like. That the food I eat is not called Chinese food; it's called food. And what's it like <laughs> that the stuff that I'm used to is available in every supermarket and gas station, mind you. Like <laughs> they sell masubi in gas station. That's what amazing. So having that experience, having people look at me like I could be, and I am a leader of society,、uh, that I am part of the dialogue on a daily basis, really change my perceptive of what it means to be normal. And the thing for my my personal goal with this podcast is to help create a community and then expand the community so that more Asian Americans can have the experience of simply being normal and be considered normal for who they are. Wow! Wow! Yes, you have a big goal. Hefty goal. Hefty goal. <laughs> hefty, hefty. For me, it's more like I really wanted to challenge myself and、mm-hmm. um, challenge the community. I don't know it all, you know.、Um, I want to learn as much as possible and to engage in dialogues.、Uh, be able to say, "Hey, I have a different point of view from from what you're seeing," and maybe we could find a common ground, or maybe we could be respectfully different. 
uh, from mm. each other, you know. So that's that's something that's in mind. So with these two big small goals in mind, we think we're gonna bring in some speakers as well in this podcast eventually. So the speakers will be ranging from therapists to techies, challenging the topic that we have right here. Um, it could be in tech, it could be it could be talk about psychology, it could be in theories. So we're open to to have people contact us. It could also be you, exactly. It could be you. <laughs> it I could would be love you. to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, it could be our audience as well. Absolutely. So, so that's how we're going to create a community and a dialogue. Yeah, pretty well said. I, I, I love that. And again, community dialogue, those are the, the buzzwords. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we, we are pretty good at email and uh, maybe it's social media. <laughs> so you definitely could reach us to our emails and we're going to link it in our page. Absolutely. That's, I would love to hear from you. So what is our topic for today? Right. So um, our topic is, and so that just quick thing, Diana just, just, and I sat down before the show and we try to come up with a topic for today. And we arrived at a topic, what it means to be Asian American under Trump administration. And as soon as we decided on that, we took a little pause and go, wow, are we really going to start here? This is a big one. And you know what? It is a big one. And and I want to start with this. When we identified the topic, I was kind of hesitant to do it. Yes. Um, And I asked myself, where does the hesitancy come from? It comes from fear, um, a place of being overwhelmed, a place of wanting to hide, a place of trying to think that, oh, you know, the Trump administration, the politics of America does not apply to me. And I ask myself, how come it doesn't apply to me? And I go, oh, because I'm not, I'm not part of the dialogue. Then the follow, the following feeling and the following thought is this remembrance of this is what marginalization is, Mm -hmm. how I put myself out of the story, out of fear. Yeah. So that's what that's how I like to start this thing. How about you? <laughs> For me, I was scared when you said you when you proposed mm. this topic because I'm like I don't know any politics. I'm a therapist. Maybe I could talk about my feelings of Trump, but is it too political for this podcast? That's the first question that I have. Uh, And also the second one is like Asian American. What is the definition of Asian American um, in United States? And how is it affecting us? And how is it affecting me personally? It's definitely easier to hide and say, well, it's not my country. I am an immigrant. I'm not even a citizen here. So why why bother? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what made this topic such a rich one and why I I believe that this is a good place to start. Okay. Because it, it immediately highlights a difference between uh, world's perspective between you and myself, uh, you you kind of allude to that. Hey, you are an immigrant. You, you, you see yourself an immigrant. This is not my country. Why bother yeah. changing? Even though I live here. Even though you live here, for me, it's more like I do live here, but there's nothing I could do. Mm. Like kind of like this kind of rolling over, belly up kind of sensation of like, oh, just let them do whatever kind of experience or sensation that I'm having. Uh, or in my dynamic towards the, the the policies and the the government at this point. So I still remember a year ago, 
when Trump was being elected. Um, I was working with some middle schoolers. One of my clients who, who was talking about Trump uh, was really, really scared. And he is like um, Asian American and he speaks fluent English and he read the news. But all he knows is like, oh man, this person is being the president and I don't know how to deal with it because he couldn't talk to his parents about it. He doesn't know how to talk to his friends about it. So I think I'm I'm kind of in that spot. My comfort to him is that, well, even though he is the president of United States, he's not controlling your life and your destiny in some ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm not quite sure if that's true. <laughs> what do you think? I have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh, so yeah. when Trump took presidency, I was I was in Hawaii at the time, yeah. and Hawaii is very, is a very blue state. I felt like I was living in this little protective bubble, where I I was uh, watching from the sidelines, if you will. Yeah. But then I see all these riots coming out from Oakland, San Francisco. I feel for my fans, uh, my fans, my friends, and my family, and I'm concerned about their well being. But I can't help but feel like I'm kind of uh, like a bystander watching. Yeah. So that's where I am. And then one another following thought that came up to me that came to me is um if you think about the political climate in China, it's it's almost kind of similar. People don't really talk about politics in 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 China. Yeah, we don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Because traditionally, and I believe this to be true, traditionally is a very dangerous thing to do. You can you can get in trouble. You can get you know the the, the secret service can come take you away. And or or like your your mm-hmm. family members don't like you to talk about it. You know? mm-hmm, so that's the cultural mm-hmm. piece of it. It's not even like the the secret sur- service or anything which is bigger than than personal life. It's like intimate personal life. Like your mm-hmm. parents doesn't talk about it. So why are you talking about it? Like why are we t- it doesn't it doesn't affect you. It doesn't apply to you. Why are you talking about this? So that's that's another. F- no feeling that came up for me, um, and the, on the day they took presidency, historically there this feeling I, I I do I think is cultural. I believe it's cultural simply because back then when the Maoists took over, um, there is this feeling of well we can't do anything about it. They have all the power. Let's just survive it. Let's just 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 trying to tolerate it as long as we can and and navigate through this thing. And mm-hmm. I felt that mentality is. Is still with me, and not just me. A lot of my Asian American clients they also echo this sentiment of, you know what, life sucks right now. We can't really change it. Uh, what can we do to cope with it? I wonder if this is broader than we think. Like, mm. is it only Asian American clients that think about that? I think a mm. lot of white folks that might be listening also might feel similar things, but they don't know how to like pinpoint it. Or maybe we don't know how to pinpoint to that experience. Like the mm-hmm. idea of being marginalized or not being heard, not able to express ourselves in an effective way, or mm-hmm. have so much mm-hmm. anger and frustration in us that we kind of like paralyzed. There is definitely a, a, a sense of paralysis here. Um, <laughs> one, one, one thing, a solution, if you will, that I've been trying recently is to really understand because okay so take this as you will I, I do have a friend who supports Trump I know crazy right? oh my god I value my dialogue with this friend simply because I really want to know what is it like to 
live their life and and think like they do. And at the end of the day, I do believe this friend's a good person. We do disagree, but that actually allows me to tap into some of my empathy, not towards Trump, of course, but like towards everyone, that everyone is suffering, no matter the the color of your skin, but we all are impacted one way or the other. So yeah, again, it's a very complicated topic. I'm in no way advocating for what President Trump is doing. At the same time, I do recognize that there might be those listeners who are for Trump, and I do not want to alien them, alienate them neither. Their views are as, as equally valid as mine. So we come to like the point of like who is right, who is wrong, and that is not helpful, Mm-mm. right? Um, when talking with um, Trump supporters, it's difficult to um, not have a combative stance in some ways. But at the same time, like how can we nurture that conversation so that we could understand the other the other people, the other who is not similar to us. So mm-hmm. I think this is the art. Lee, what do you talk about with your with your friend? How does it how does the conversation end and how does it start? It starts with a beer. <laughs> it has to start with a beer. <laughs> and uh, I I asked my friend, like, what's it like for him? The reason why this topic came up is because he knows I'm a therapist, right? Uh-huh. And he um tells me that, hey, I'm having a lot of problems right now. Uh, he, for as long as I know him, he's always been very Republican. Mm-hmm. He is a nation American Republican, but he's been here for, he's like a second generation, but he's ex- very, very Republican family, um, very religious family. He's been having a lot of difficulties right now because those are so, like those of those he's around, his environment tend to be more progressive. So he feels ostracized, alienated and all that stuff. And he want to come talk to me about it as, as a therapist, but as someone who knows him for like many years, who always kind of doesn't really agree with him, but at the end of the day, see each other as simply people. So I think when he approached me of this topic, he that's how he presented as like, I'm not here to challenge with you, but I'm just here to express that this is what I'm experiencing and this is what I believe. Mm. Um, so going to a conversation with that kind of open-mindedness and kind of like, it feels like I'm interviewing him, kind of gathering information really allow the dialogue, the narrative to develop without me inserting my own opinions, my ego to, to you know, this is how it's supposed to be. How dare you tell me this kind of stuff. So that's, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question, but that's where I'm at right now. It's still very complicated. So are you still talking to him? Yes, we are still having conversations. Not often enough. So I'm sure he's going to pick on this podcast. I'm not going to name him, but he's going <laughs> to pick it up. But, hey man, just when you see this, call me. <laughs> well, that's a good idea to um, actually invite people who have different views that we have to question and to mm-hmm. have a dialogue with us. I think that's a, that is that is the most important thing for this podcast, and that is our yeah. goal as well. Um, I do want to bring up one point that he made, and I'm not saying I agree with this point, but it is a point that he made, mm-hmm. um, and it shows, and and I'm still chewing through this. He said to me that his family struggled greatly to immigrate here, that his grandmother had to wait for like like a long time, like five, six, seven years to complete all the paper, talk with immigration, just a long, arduous process for his whole family to immigrate here like many years ago. He was told by his parents how hard it is 
for their family to come here, uproot everything, and they have to like sacrifice so much to come here. And why is it so important to for them to embrace their American citizenship because of this? So this is where he comes from, and he talks about how there are immigrants that come here come here illegally and how that activates resentment in him that he feels that i had to do all this to get here and you 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 can just come here um so of course there's some ignorance i believe here and there but that's his position and that's where a lot of the energy he is uh, that he has in bringing this topic to me yeah the idea of injustice right injustice immigration yeah yeah when I think about injustice, the ju- mm-hmm. injustice is like the pain where it comes from. When everyone is treated the same, like you kind of like, okay, if we're treated poorly, if I'm treated poorly and you're treated poorly, it's fine. But when there's an injustice of like how is being treated in different uh, environment or or in the same environment, um, then it, it it the pain will come out. And the struggle will be like, this is not fair. And why are we doing this? How can we prevent the pain that I'm feeling? Which translates to, I'm going to support people who is protecting my rights. So in, in the bottom line, it seems like everyone have their own way of justifying, thinking about how, how to understand what's presented in, in, in their own way. And it comes from culture, it comes from educational background, uh, resources, and how simply your family tells you to think about those things. Yes, that's, that's very true. And I really like your point in, in terms of um, feeling unsafe and the pain, the caused by injustice and what that looks like and the reaction towards it. Well, family, it's a big part of this podcast, too. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, yes, it is. It's a big part of this family. And by the tone of me bringing this up, you can tell that it's, it's, it's again, another very challenging topic of what, what that means, you know, what it considers to be family. It is difficult because, um, you know, in psychology, we always talk about how uh, parenting or uh, when we're young, like zero to three or zero to 10, like how it kind of molds our schema and um, how we mold how we interact with different people. And I'm pretty, pretty sure that when I was young, like there are things that my family or my parents did to me that is affecting me today and how I'm relating to people. It is, it is a fascinating topic. And I'm pretty sure that this topic, what it means to be Asian American under Trump administration, more or less is influenced by everyone's family and how they think about politics, how they think about the views and how they think about privilege and injustice. Absolutely, absolutely. I also believe that even within the Asian American community, there are family that does talk about these topics in the dinner table, and there are family who does not talk about these topics in the dinner table. Yes. And that has to do, and this is just, again, an opinion. I have no reason to back this up. It's correlated with duration and acculturation, like duration being America and acculturation. Huh. I, I, I got this feeling that it. it more recent immigrants, they might not be discussing this as much as uh, someone who has been here, maybe multi-generation. And that kind of beckons back to how we opened this topic, saying that my, me, myself, immigrated here age nine, that my parents kind of broached these topics, but it's kind of like, a, oh, like, check this out. This is kind of funny. You know, Trump's being a silly person on TV again. Ha ha ha. 
uh, whereas compared to some of my Filipino friends who've been here multi-generationally, it's a topic they talk about during dinner and then they fight about it and they talk about it and fight about it. And, and, and it's a very different kind of experience. How about you, Ostar? Like how, how does that impact your family dynamic? <laughs> my family oh man the first thing that when i was immigrating to um uh, america like i came here for my master's program uh the first thing that my dad say is that american people are bad people so it's a blanket term so coming from that viewpoint um obviously now like i i'm pretty sure that they're good and bad people in the mix, you know, like people have different viewpoints and um, they live differently. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's it's difficult for me to process as a, as a young person coming here, not knowing a lot about America. And then coming here, hearing more about the politics side, learning about the struggles that uh, my friends or my clients have, or even like me, my experience of doing the paperwork of getting a visa and stuff like that. Yeah. It more or less creates some frustrations for me towards the administration. Yeah, absolutely. And also the idea of like distance, distancing myself to to talk about this. Also, like American politics is pretty complicated for an outsider. Oh my God, yes. It's weird. <laughs> so it, I have to read so much and you have to read, um, be diligent about it to be updated about the news and stuff. And that is the effort that I'm attempting to put in. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult for me to digest all these information. First of all, like, I don't even know what is blue state or red state, you know, like, what is, what does, what does it mean for me um, that I'm living in San Francisco, which is like a more open um, kind of like community. So it's mixed feelings. And then we'll throw in the mix that, oh, you're Asian American uh, and people speak different language than you. Mm. For example, my en- English is not the best because it's I, I come from Hong Kong and we speak Cantonese there. Um, Cantonese is my first language and English is not. So even digesting the news creates a different experience or even how the Chinese media is writing about American politics and how I was like learned in that way before I come mm-hmm. uh, also affects my views here mm-hmm. as well. There's like so many million of questions that I want to ask, but at the same time, it's like, it's so, so hard and so difficult. It, it, it is frustrating sometimes. Yeah, and you brought up the point where um, language, a language, even though we speak English, political language is a language all to itself. And that I can bar a lot of Asian yeah. Americans to just even interact with what's going on right now. And for me, I think um, my duty as a therapist to learn about the politics mm-hmm of America is to better serve my clients because a lot of my clients are of low social economic status and they actually experience a lot of things, not only with the politics, but also the system itself. Absolutely. So, so that is uh, informing for me and politics is everywhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. For me in terms of like um, serving clients and helping patients and whatnot, uh, so ever since Trump took presidency, I have taken several clients that are Trump supporters. I, I have clients who identify as, as Republican Trump supporters, and they're Asian Americans. And I feel like by challenging myself to expand my understanding what's going on and to kind of refrain from going the going the route of you're bad, I'm good, you're wrong, I'm right, it's yeah. going to help me 
access that therapeutic empathy that's so crucial in treatment because it's 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 hard when you someone someone you're doing sessions with sitting across from you they tell you things that you believe are very hateful or you believe that is very mm-hmm. ignorant or whatnot and you have all these preconceived notions about who they are as a person based on their political views all those things stop me from being a good therapist mm. so what you said like uh learning more about the American political system um, for me is like learning that, and on top of that, having to really position myself at least internally where I can love people that I strongly disagree with, and people who have views that I believe are not helpful, but I still have to find a way to love them and support them and help them develop. I think that is why therapy is not as easy as just talking it's a lot of a lot of background work there yeah when when politics came up in my sessions i typically Mm -hmm. um don't disclose a a lot about my political view so that i could actually give space for my clients to explore what it really means to them Mm -hmm. why are they bringing this up uh in therapy and and there is more layers to that you know i also see this internalized racism. Um, I very much agree with your, your approach in terms of reserving. Not disclosing. Not disclosing. Yeah, like, it, it does, it's not helpful. It's not a helpful disclosure. Actually, I, I think that, that I, there's one time I did disclose. There was one patient of mine that I did disclose to him uh, what my stance is. And the reason why is because he firmly believes that a Republican and a Democrat can never have a healthy conversation that the only way we can have a conversation is yelling because all you know non-republicans just yell and scream and protest so after like many sessions right and i go maybe it's a good time to for me to share with him where's my status so that that will give him a corrective relational experience uh, that took a chance and it did and um it worked out well he goes he was floored you know, I thought you're so Republican because you just didn't challenge me and you just listen and accept. You, you encourage me to think more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but but you, didn't, you didn't tell me I was wrong. You, you, how could you be? How can you be from San Francisco, <laughs> essentially? And I'm like, well, because, you know, this is how I decided to orient myself to political and orient myself to you. And it was helpful for the client. Yeah. So it's a clinical choice. Absolutely. The choice is to build the bridge for that specific client that, hey, even though we have different views, we could still be in the same table talking about stuff in the same room being candid and true to each other. And that is very powerful. I will argue that that is one of the core goals of, of psychotherapy in, in, in all modalities, kind of building bridge, you know, and using those relational bridges, those powerful bridges to correct some of the preconceived notions they're not helpful they're limiting so here we are like talking about how it means to be asian american under trump administration we kind of covered even with like our work with my clients with our clients well lee i was really surprised because we're actually disclosing a lot in this podcast yeah i no I, so so as i'm talking and i'll be i'll be very transparent too as i'm talking there is some anxiety I'm experiencing. It's not performance anxiety or speech anxiety because you you know me well enough to know that I don't <laughs> have that problem per se. What comes to me is vulnerability overload. I feel like I've shared too much and I, I'm, I feel like I'm going to be judged negatively oh. because I have shared too much. That 
if I feel this way, I feel like a lot of people who are asked these questions might also experience that. And it's part of the silence, I think. Yes, yes. For me, myself, I haven't disclosed a lot in the therapy world. So when my clients search on the podcast world and see me doing this, I don't know. They might know a lot about me now, way more than, than they know. This is, I applaud you. Celebrate that we're, we're taking oh. this step together. <laughs> yes, yes, we, we could applaud ourselves right now. Yeah, go us. <laughs> like by starting to be vulnerable and self-disclose a little bit, take a step to take a risk to be able to be true. Yeah, absolutely. And the metaphor that I like to use is... Um, there's an old saying, and, and it's called what? Don't rock the boat. Like, lay low, go slow, don't yeah, rock the boat. Yeah, yeah, don't rock the boat. That's been told to me so many times because I tend to rock boats. I'm like a professional boat rocker. <laughs> I remember one of my mentors um, at, my, at my graduate school told me that you can stay low and don't rock the boat, but you also have zero control of where the boat's going. Yes. And... I don't like where our boat's going. I really don't. So we're going to rock it and turn it. We're going to rock it. We're, we're going to rock this thing. Let's do it, Diana. Let's, let's make this happen. <laughs> so thank you so much, Lee, for taking a leap with us, uh, with me, with the audience to do this podcast. What are you thanking me? Listen, thank you for arranging for this. And I'm, I'm very thankful and humble to have met you and for being an Asian American woman uh, who's a therapist and to really advocating for yourself and for POC. I I feel like that is definitely a sign of strength and I have a lot of admiration for you as a person and as a professional. Ah, thank you. Thank you. The feeling, the feeling is mutual. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Pat yourself in the back again. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for our first podcast. Send us an email, links, whatever you need. Uh, but yes, I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, ways we can improve, things that you like, things you don't really like that much. And make sure you share this to people who you care and people who you want to rock their boat. Rock their boat.